you will, please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's some in the chairs in front of you, and you can turn to page 981 to find our, our text this morning. And also, I know many of you have been enjoying the scripture journals. We've journaled our way through the book of Philippians. If you're not familiar with these, we have some available here in the narthex. It's a great way to follow along and take notes. Many pastors and scholars for centuries have remarked how one of the most practical ways to meditate and study God's word is with a pen and paper. And so may these scripture journals help you with that. Our passage of study this morning is Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. A very foundational passage here for the Christian life. Let's give attention to God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, would you send your spirit now in a fresh way that we may understand and apply your word to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed or not, I hope you've noticed, that, that churches these days are really into marketing. You know, they are, they're all about advertising and getting their names out there. You'll see where churches will have billboards and radio advertisements and social media posts where churches are they're just desperately trying to get the world's attention. These marketing techniques say something maybe like this. Come and experience church like you've never seen before. It's like, are we going to a movie? Are we going to church here? Uh, come and rediscover church. But I've also seen advertisements that say something far less novel, something very simple like, come discover practical Christianity. Sometimes people think, is that where you go take a nap on Sunday morning? No. <laughs> What is practical Christianity? But it's not bad to say that. What is practical Christianity? Well, hopefully practical Christianity is Christianity that preaches the truth, but also teaches us how to apply the truth. I've heard many agnostics and many non-Christians say something like this before, that I'm not really interested in going to church and I'm not really interested in Christianity because I don't find it to be very practical. I don't really see how it would apply to my life. Well, I want to propose to you this morning that this passage that we're going to study, this, these words of God's that are for us are, are very practical. In other words, practicing your faith and living out your faith, practical Christianity, looks a lot like this passage. 
It looks a lot like these words that the Apostle Paul was writing to the Philippian church. These were not just trite and simple words where he wanted to say, hope you're doing well, you know, how's the fishing in Philippi? You know, uh, did you get the birthday present I sent you? (laughs) No. He wants to tell them how to live the Christian life. The whole Bible is full of practical Christianity, is it not? Practical ways that we live out the Christian life. So in this passage, we're going to observe very practically what it looks like to live the Christian life. And so as we come again to another important passage here in Philippians that contains some wonderful truths for the Christian life, we're going to be faced with a very important doctrine in Christian, the Christian life that we must understand and apply. And most specifically, the doctrine that we're going to look at that Paul is referencing here in this passage is that of sanctification. That is the process of being sanctified, being set apart, being made holy. The Westminster Confession of Faith does an excellent job. We read this morning in our corporate confession of faith that sanctification is dying more and more into sin and living more and more unto righteousness. Or to put it as simply as I possibly can, what is sanctification? It is living a godly life. It is living a righteous life, doing what pleases God. It's a daily process where we are working out what God has called us to do in the way we live the Christian life. And the Apostle Paul, he will not use these words in this passage, sanctified or sanctification, as he does elsewhere in other passages of Scripture. But make no mistake about it, that is what he is talking about here, and I hope to show you clearly. But before we work our way through this passage and we talk about the doctrine of sanctification, I want you to notice that in verse 12, this passage, it doesn't just exist by itself. It's connected here in the book of Philippians with the rest of the letter. And you'll notice the word, therefore. And Hopefully you know that good biblical interpretation means asking good questions of the text as you read it. And so let me just help you with a very, very profound thing here that I actually had to learn in seminary, and I'm going to teach you all. This is a trade secret of seminary. You ready? Can you handle this? Whenever you see the word therefore, it's always good to ask, what is the therefore there for? Some of you engineers are trying to work this out. It's very simple. <laughs> what is the therefore there for? What is, what is the Apostle Paul talking about? What, is, what has he been talking about? Well, it's an adverb here, and he's trying to link it to the conversation or to the to the application that he was making before to the Philippians in his letter. And so you can glance back there. We're not going to read for time's sake, but he's saying, since we are to look to Jesus, since we are to see that he is the one who is always is and was and will be, since he is the one who was humiliated by being put to death on a cross, but he was also the one who is exalted, who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, who is king over all. We should look to him, and our lives should be changed. We are to live our lives differently in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. That is what looking to Jesus does for us. It leads to a changed life. And so the reason that Paul was calling their attention to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they might have unity in the church. And that unity looks like looking to others' others' interests before our own, And the way that we do that is we look to Christ as our example. And therefore, looking to Jesus and his great example of humility and exaltation 
and what he has done for his people, how he has honored God, his father, Paul will now say to the Philippian church, walk in obedience of faith. Live obedient lives. In other words, live a life that is holy, that is sanctified, that honors God. Live pleasing to him. We are, how are we called to walk in obedience of faith? It is simply this. They are called to daily pursue sanctification. That is daily dying unto sin and living unto righteousness. That means daily putting aside what is bad, what does not please and honor the Lord. Daily living lives that do please and honor the Lord. Practically, this is what it means to have the mind of Christ, to live to honor Christ. It is to look to Jesus Christ as an example of how we live the Christian life. And so to live the Christian life means to grow in our sanctification. That is to grow in our call to pursue holiness. And for us to grow in sanctification, we must understand really what it is and how we practice it and what does it actually look like in our daily lives. And so let's study that as we look through this passage here. We'll look first at the doctrine of sanctification, secondly, the practice of sanctification, and thirdly, an example of sanctification. So let's look at the doctrine of sanctification found there in verses 12 through 13. We've already defined it theologically by looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith, but look here how Paul defines it. Look at verse 12. This is very curious at first reading. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. In other words, he's saying, hey, when I was with you, you were pursuing the Christian life. You were walking in obedience of faith. And I hear that you're still doing that. But here's how you keep doing that. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, our first thought is to look at that statement and think, wait a minute. Is, is Paul advocating salvation by works? In other words, is he saying that we are to earn our salvation by what we do, by actually working it out? Is he saying that salvation is not by grace and it's by works? Of course not. That's not what the apostle is teaching for several reasons. First, it would be inconsistent with everything he teaches in all 13 of his letters, where he has very explicitly stated in all of his theology and doctrine that salvation is by grace through faith, in Christ alone. That is how we are saved. That is how we are justified. But secondly, we know that Paul is not talking about salvation by works because we know specifically that this letter to the Philippians, this, this church in Philippi, was written to Christians. These are the ones he calls my beloved. This is a, a term of endearment. This is another way of saying brothers and sisters in Christ. So therefore, the context demonstrates to us that Paul's not talking about justification here, that is, how we are declared righteous in God's sight, but he's talking about sanctification. That is, how we become more and more righteous, how we, how we practically live out the Christian life. So in this context, salvation is not referring to the act of our hearts being renewed or changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But salvation in the sense of the ongoing work that God is doing in us. The ongoing work of sanctification, of making us more and more like Christ that takes place over a lifetime of a believer. It's what Paul referenced earlier in his letter in Philippians 1 verse 6. 
when he says that God is doing a work and he's doing a good work in his people. And he's going to continue to do that good work. He's going to carry it on to completion. So Paul here is referring to salvation in terms of our transformation. To work out your salvation is a call to obedience. It's a call to follow Christ as your Lord, to be transformed more and more to be like Christ. So Paul here is commending them for their progress. He's, he's congratulating them for their sanctification that he hears that they, are, they were doing and that they continue to do. And he's giving them an attaboy. Keep it up. <laughs> keep going. Keep growing. Keep pursuing Christ. I love talking to saints who have lived a long, 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 long time in this world where they say, God's not done with me yet. He's still working on me. I'm still growing. I'm still pursuing Christ. That's what the work of sanctification is. So then we see a second part here in verse 13 where he says we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So we read these two verses together and it almost seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? It's like a paradox. Is it God or is it us who does the work of sanctification? Some would reason that justification is the work of God. It is he who comes and makes us righteous by Christ's death on the cross. But it's up to us to pursue sanctification. It's, it's you that must pursue righteousness all on your own. But this cannot be true. And it's certainly not biblical. Because this passage kind of smacks us right in the face. It says, this is what it means to pursue sanctification. This is the biblical premise this, This passage is not saying, let go and let God. And if that's one you like to use, let me encourage you to stop it. (laughs) Because it's not biblical. It's not true. It's not what this passage is teaching, to let go and let God. So if that's not true, what is true? How do we live the Christian life? How do we pursue righteousness? Is it up to us or is is it up to God? Which is it? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. There's a tension here, isn't there, in verses 12 through 13. And this tension is there on purpose so that we don't outweigh one over the other. Is it, is it God who does all the work? Yes. Is, are we called to do work? Yes. So, so there's a tension. This passage, this passage will not allow us to come to a resolution on this matter, and I cannot stand that because I'm type A, and I want it to be in black and white. <laughs> and I know many of you are that way too, but this is on purpose. It's to show us that both matter. Both matter. Both are important. It's biblical and right to say both. It is both divine grace from Almighty God And it is the human responsibility, it's our call as his people to work hand in hand according to the mystery of God's will to live a sanctified life. It's divine grace and human responsibility by which we work out our sanctification. This seemingly paradox is is actually quite beautiful and encouraging if you think about it. God actually works in us. He actually gives us the power and the will to obey. 
And not only does he give us the power and the will to obey, he actually works in us. He helps us. This means, as Dennis Johnson so eloquently stated, we must ask the Lord to work in us, not only the willingness to do what pleasing, pleases him, but also the doing itself. Lord, help me. And Lord, do it. Thankfully, God does not say, I did the work by sending my son to die for you. Now you go and live holy. You go work it out by yourself. No, he, he works in us. He, he chooses us. He, he helps us. This is, a, this is a sobering thought. It's both. We don't know exactly how this all works itself out, but we know it's both. It's God working in you, and yes, you are called to work out your salvation. You are called to pursue holiness, and at the same time, we pray, oh Lord, help me. Give me the power to pursue holiness. It's a sobering thought. It is God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purposes. And the scriptures say we do so here with fear and trembling, knowing that we cannot do it alone. God must work. He must give us the resources that we don't have in ourselves so that we can work out our salvation. God works in us for his good purposes, conforming us more and more to the image of his son. But did you catch that? That there's a reason that God does this? He does it for his good pleasure. Think about that. He does it for his good pleasure. What a comfort this morning, brothers and sisters, that that God takes pleasure in helping us grow in the Christian life. He doesn't watch us just fumble and and stumble and fall and say, I I, I hope that fellow gets it figured out. No, he, he urges us on. He helps us. He strengthens us. He helps us to run the race of the Christian life. And he takes pleasure when we are pursuing him and pursuing righteousness. God takes pleasure in helping us grow in the Christian life. Is that not good news? Is that not encouraging this morning? That he loves it when his children, his people, hate their sin and love righteousness. Children, little children this morning, God loves it. When you obey your parents and you treat your brothers and sisters with respect, he loves it. Husbands, God loves it when you recognize that you have not been dying to yourself and living as Christ to your wife. He loves it when you recognize that you need to change. Christian, God loves it when you recognize that there are things in your life that is not pleasing to the Lord, and you seek to recognize it, confess it, and change by pursuing righteousness. Know this this morning, that God takes great pleasure in your sanctification, so much so that he helps you. So yes, we are called to pursue righteousness. It's something we must do, but yes, God helps us. He works in us. I love the way the late Jerry Bridges put it. This has been so helpful to me in my Christian life for, since I was 19 years old. 
He said, the same grace that justifies us is the same grace that sanctifies us. Think about that. The the same grace that Almighty God extended your life to save you, to bring you out of darkness and into the light, to renew your heart and to make you a new creation. That, uh, That amazing grace is the same grace that God is working in your life every single day to help you grow in Christ, to help you pursue righteousness. That is good news. So, what does working out your salvation look like? What does practicing sanctification look like? Let's look at that now in verses 14 through 16. The practice of sanctification. The late James Montgomery Boyce said that the words uh, of the exaltation and humiliation and awesomeness of Jesus Christ earlier in Philippians chapter 2 show us that doctrine always leads to practical Christianity. In other words, looking to Jesus motivates us to practice our sanctification. And so here in verses 14 through 16, we have very practical encouragement for what practicing sanctification actually looks like. And so he gives us three practical ways. The first is, and this is a hard one for me, maybe for many of you, verse 14 We practice sanctification by doing all things without grumbling or disputing. You may remember that Paul referenced earlier in his letter the need for unity in the church by living humbly and living others first, because apparently there was a little bickering going on in the church of Philippi that the apostle Paul needed to address, and he'll address more later in the letter. Have y'all ever heard of something like that? Have y'all ever heard of bickering and complaining in the church? <laughs> there, are, there are people who don't get along in a local church. It does happen. The Apostle Paul was addressing that here. And that is why Paul would say, do all things. Not some things. Not a few things. But all things without grumbling or disputing, or without complaining or arguing. This is actually a direct reference to something that's mentioned over 20 times in the Old Testament. That grumbling and complaining and that moaning and and groaning was what the Israelites were doing in the wilderness for 40 years. And God used that over and over as an example of that is not how you live the Christian life. That is not how you please God. That's not how you live obediently because they were complainers and agitators. This is not the way God's people are to live. It's the same way in the local church. Rather, we're called to live, Paul says, blameless and innocent lives. Not that we are perfect or could ever achieve perfection, but we are certainly called to strive for perfection. We're certainly called to honor God our Father by living as His children, obedient children. We honor our Heavenly Father by living obedient and holy lives that brings honor and praise to God our Father. We live blameless and holy lives in this fallen world because, as he says, Philippians, this world, this this context that you are trying to live in the Christian life, it's a crooked and twisted generation. Does that sound familiar? dark world that we live in it's a twisted world that we live in what's right is called wrong what's wrong is called right 
Does that sound familiar? This is the context of the Philippian church, and this is certainly our context. There's already enough grumbling and complaining and lying and cheating and crookedness in our world. Paul says, church, have nothing to do with it. Be different than that. Strive to do all things without grumbling or complaining. This is not proper for God's holy people. We're called to live blameless and innocent lives. We live this way because we are God's children. Someone recently wrote to me, kind of fleshing this out. What does this practice of sanctification look like, this not grumbling or complaining? He's, this person said, how do, I, how do I live in a godly way towards someone who is not demonstrating any type of godliness in their actions toward me? Is it safe to conclude that as long as I don't seek vengeance and continue to pray for unrepentant hearts, that I'm doing what God has called me to do in forgiveness? And I answer that person, I would say, yes, yes, but you're to do so without grumbling or disputing. We do so without complaining or arguing. That is how you work out your salvation in a situation like that. We live holy and blameless lives. The second example that he gives here of practicing our sanctification is by being a light in a dark world. This might be better translated. Some translations say that the the church here, the Christians here, were called to shine like bright stars in the cosmos. There are not many places that we can go these days at nighttime without there being light pollution. But maybe you've been to some national park or somewhere in our country where there's very little ambient light. And it's amazing when you look up at the stars, how vast the heavens appear as myriad upon myriads of stars appear in the sky without light pollution. But imagine, if you will, a time and place, like much like the ancient Christians here, where the only nighttime light that would have been available to you on many nights was that of the stars. That's how the stars were used to navigate and to show the way at night. Paul says, just like that, just like that, church, This is the effect that you are to have on the world. You are to be like light, like bright light, light, (laughs) shining stars in the darkness. But this is not something new that Paul was saying here, right? This was not some cool calendar quote he was giving us. He was quoting the Lord Jesus, right? This is what Jesus said. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world, Christian. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I love light. I've been installing lights in my house for the last month. I like to be able to see. Imagine a world where Christians are like that. When, we're not, when, we are, when the light of Christ is shining so brightly in us, when, when others see us, they want to be near the light. As the world sees, seems deem, seemingly darker and darker, may the light of Christ shine brighter and brighter in us. 
And the third way he says that we practice our sanctification is by holding fast to the word of life. Now, that's so much better than most preachers say it because most preachers like me would just say, hey, just make sure you read your Bible. But listen to this descriptive language the Apostle Paul uses here. Hold fast, hold firmly to the word of life. The scriptures that are life-giving. And of course, the most practical way we can do this is by, is by reading and studying and applying our Bibles, right? That's what practical Christianity looks like. Reading, studying, and applying the scriptures to our daily life. This is how we show that we love Jesus. That Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so we must read his commands and study his commands and follow his commands. And so how do we daily pursue our sanctification? How do we daily rid our lives of sin and pursue righteousness? One of the most practical ways we can do so, church, is by holding fast to the word of life. This means reading and studying and memorizing and applying the Bible to our lives daily. Through worship, through Sunday school, through Bible study, through, through quiet times, through any means possible, may we hold fast. We work out our sanctification. But Paul would not be a good pastor. He would not be a good mentor if he did not model sanctification. And that's what he does in verses 17 through 18. We have an example of sanctification. Like a good teacher, he models it for us. This is one of the most important aspects of discipleship. We need to model sanctification to others. That's why parents, we need to model the Christian life to others, to our children. This is why students, those of you who are teenagers and young adults, you need to model to the younger children what the Christian life looks like. And so Paul is a willing example here of sanctification by his sacrifice is an example of those, of someone who sacrificed everything. For the gospel. We remember that he's in jail. And he'd been laboring long and hard for his church that he planted. He says he's being poured out like a drink offering. That's that sacrificial pouring of of wine and blood that would be upon the altar as the sacrifice was prepared to be burned. And so Paul was here explaining that he was pouring himself out, maybe even to the point of death, but certainly jail time right now and so here we see how he modeled a life of holiness by living for others and let me just say that this is the desire this is the heart of your elders of your pastors of your leaders here at cornerstone presbyterian church we want to pour ourselves out for you we want to demonstrate love for you so whether you're suffering grieving, or depressed, no matter what. Please know that your shepherds are here for you. And we want to help. We want to demonstrate this love. Because that's the example that's for us. And that is what Paul was modeling for them as he was following Christ. He was modeling sanctification for them. And you know what he said? He didn't complain. He didn't grumble. I would have been complaining and grumbling if I was in jail. But what did he say? No, I rejoice. 
Even though I'm chained like a criminal here in jail, preaching the gospel, what did he say? I rejoice because I hear you are growing in your faith. You are pursuing Christ. You, you are making a difference. So likewise, we are to do the same. We are to be glad and rejoice with our brothers and sisters as we are growing in Christ, as we are as we, are, as we are moving along in the Christian life, that means some of us are going to mess up. And there's a couple of options that we have there. We could judge and say, hey, you shouldn't have messed up. That was dumb. Or we, can, we could say, could I, could I pray for you? Could I help you? I, I've saw, I see how you're trying to live differently after you messed up. And that's, that's awesome. I want to pray for you. I want to help you. That's what... This practice of sanctification looks like. It's every day God using our lives as a witness to advance his gospel. And Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice. So in conclusion, this may be the first time you've ever really heard preaching or teaching on the doctrine of sanctification. And if this is you, let me encourage you to realize that the Christian life is a life of following Christ as his disciple. And that means daily growing in your sanctification that means pursuing holiness pursuing the things god has called you to do this is practical christianity it's what it looks like but maybe you're here and you call yourself a christian and the way you define that is because you you go to church i go to church therefore i'm a christian but let me warn you it's not what makes you a christian what makes you a christian is your relationship with jesus christ It means knowing him and following him as your Lord and Savior. And a real relationship with Jesus Christ looks like this. It means we start by repenting, by turning away from our sin and turning to righteousness and saying, Lord, I've been trusting in myself. I've even maybe been worshiping myself. And I've certainly seen that I am a sinner in need of grace. And we, we turn from that and we turn to Jesus, who's the Savior. Salvation doesn't stop there. It's a work in progress. It must be worked out. Therefore, my beloved, today, yesterday, and for the next days until the day of Christ, work out your salvation. Keep doing it. Keep practicing it. Keep pursuing Christ. And remember that God has promised not to leave you or forsake you. That he is working in you according to his good pleasure. So may God help us as we daily pursue sanctification. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we look at these words and we, we might even want to ignore them. We might even want to think, maybe this isn't really talking to me. Lord, your word is your truth. You have taught us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for correcting us, for training us, for teaching us, for helping us pursue righteousness. And so, Lord, you've called us to work out our salvation. And so, Father, please help us. Thank you that you do help us, but Lord, please help us. Please help, help us daily to see sin in our own lives and our own hearts and to turn from it. But Lord, not to stop there, but to turn to what is good, to what is right, to what is holy. 
And we thank you that you have given us help to do that. Lord, as we looked practically at these examples here to the, to the church, Lord, we know that this could have easily been us, that we grumble and complain and argue. Lord, that we could forsake the scriptures and hold on to other things. Father, we, we, we too could put our light under a basket. So Lord, help us to recognize when we are doing these things and to see practically daily you've called us to pursue righteousness, to live as children who bring honor and glory to you, to hold fast to the word of life and to be a light in a dark world. Lord, help it not to be our light, but the light of Christ shining in us. Lord, help us to hold fast to him. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.